well, hey, this is Eric. I'm one of the ministers at Regency. I just wanted to thank you for checking out this message. We're praying that God uses this message to draw your heart closer to Him. If you're ever in the Mobile area, we want to invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. If you'd like to find out more information about Regency or to check out some other resources, visit our website at regencycc.org. It is so good to see you this morning. So glad that you're here. So I got a question for you. If uh, if you had less than 24 hours to live, what would you do? I know for me, I, I might try to visit as many family members as possible. Maybe try to make one more meaningful memory with my wife and my children. Maybe drive to the beach just to take in that beautiful sight one more time. Definitely try to eat at Fusakli's one more time before I go. Well, there's this scene in the life of Jesus that I find particularly important. He's got less than 24 hours to live. There's all kinds of things that Jesus could be doing. But the one thing that he says he has earnestly desired to do in the last 24 hours of his life was eat the Passover meal with his disciples. The Passover. You remember much about the Passover? We learn about it in the book of Exodus. You remember the story of how God led Israel out of Egypt? He comes to Moses and says, deliver my people from Egypt. And Moses goes to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, no, not going to let him go. And so God sends those ten plagues to Egypt, and it brings the most powerful nation at the time down to its knees. And that tenth and final plague was the deal breaker. It was the one that everything that was the firstborn in all of Egypt, whether human or animal, it all died. And there was that great cry at midnight when death struck all of Egypt, even the house of Pharaoh, and they cried out. And the Israelites uh, left. They were already clothed. They were ready to go, and they got out of town. Well, right before then, that very night, they observed this meal called the Passover. That week, they had prepared for it. They had prepared to observe this meal. They took a lamb, they slayed the lamb, they took its blood and put it over the doorposts of their home, and that's what protected them from death as death would pass over their house because they were covered by the blood. And they took this lamb and they roasted it and they gathered unleavened bread. They had even removed all, anything with leaven in it from their home for the entire week. And together with some different herbs, they enjoyed this meal together, ready to leave on a moment's notice. And as they leave, they get to the Red Sea, do you remember? And and they don't know what they're going to do. They kind of panic. And God parts the Red Sea and they walk through on dry ground. And Pharaoh's army gets in the middle of it. And then the waters come tumbling down and all of Pharaoh's army was drowned there in the Red Sea. It, It was such a moment. It was so important for the Israelites that they never forgot about it. And they would observe year after year this meal that they called the Passover that even Jews still today and even many Christians still observe the Passover meal today. And it was so important to them because it was their Independence Day. In just a couple of months, we're going to gather together with family and friends. We might barbecue or something like that. And we're going to celebrate our independence as a nation. Their independence was their Passover meal. But it wasn't just their Independence Day, it was also their New Year's Day because it was the day that their calendar reset. It became the first month of the year for them. And so they celebrated Independence Day and New Year's on one day. Thankfully, we get two days off for that. They only got one day off for that. I know they got kind of got robbed there a little bit, but that's okay. This moment was so important that even the New Testament writers constantly referred to it and wrote about it The Exodus is a theme that runs all throughout the Scriptures. 
And Jesus, 1900 years after Moses leads Israel out of Egypt, gathers together with his disciples in this upper room, and there they're going to observe the Passover meal. As they come into the room, there was a custom that they would have to wash their feet, but nobody would do it. And Jesus, do you remember, takes a towel and and covers himself and washes the disciples' feet himself. And then even as their servant, he's going to serve as the host of this Passover meal. So they would begin the Passover meal with everything already set out on the table because everything had already been prepared. And the host, who on this night was Jesus, would start out by talking about what each item represented. It was called the Kadesh. They would basically talk about why each item is so sacred. And then they would bless the first of four cups of wine. It would be red wine mixed with water. And they would bless this cup and uh, drink the first cup of wine. After that, uh, they would wash their hands. And it was more of a symbolic kind of ritual that they would go through. And then they would have what's called the carpus, which was the first of two dippings. They would take a green vegetable and they would dip it in salt water or vinegar. I know that sounds absolutely gross, but it was meant to taste bad because they wanted to remind themselves of the tears and the sorrow that were shed by God's people when they were in bondage. After this, they would take a piece of unleavened bread and they would break it and they would uh, remember the bread of affliction is what it represented. And the reason why it was unleavened was because they didn't wait for the leaven to rise when they were leaving Egypt. They left in haste, and so they had unleavened bread there on the table. Before they did this, they would actually take a piece of unleavened bread and have someone hide it in the home that's going to come back in just a minute. We'll talk about that in just a minute. After they ate this first piece of unleavened bread, whoever the host was on this night, it was Jesus, would stand up and retell the story of the Exodus. Could you imagine how great a story Jesus told when talking about the Exodus? And whoever was the youngest in the house would have these four questions that they would ask. They would recite these four questions all about the story of the Exodus. And whoever the leader was would answer those questions to remind everybody that was present. This is why we're doing this. Whether you are a child or whether you are a grown adult, don't you ever forget what God did for us when he brought our people out of Egypt. After they would retell the story of the Exodus, they would wash their hands. This time, uh, they would recite this blessing and they made sure that the water totally covered every inch of skin on their hands. Then they sang the first part of what's called the Hallel Psalms, which they would sing Psalms 113 and 114. After this, they would bless and drink the second cup of wine. Then they would grab the piece of unleavened bread and they would eat it. Uh, And then they would have what's called the Marar. This was the second of the two dippings. This time they would take a piece of cracker, a piece of unleavened bread. They would place on it a piece of roasted lamb and they would dip it into something bitter. And the host would hand it out to each person sitting at the table. And it's during this point, if you remember in the life of Jesus, that he says, the one whom I shall dip this morsel and give it to him is the one who will betray me. Can you picture him dipping it into that bowl and handing it to Judas and saying, whatever you're going to do, do it quickly. After this, they would reach the climax of the Passover, where they would actually eat the Passover lamb. A lot of times they'd have some kind of charred egg on their plate and maybe something else that was green. And then they would recite another blessing. 
Then they would observe the third cup of wine that was on the table and recite another blessing. This is very likely the cup that Paul refers to, the cup of blessing in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Then they'd sing the rest of the Hallel Psalms, which were Psalms 115 through 118. And then they would drink a fourth cup of wine and offer a brief blessing. Then they would close with a prayer, asking God to accept that night's service. But on this night, Jesus does something different. You got to imagine he's somewhere in his early 30s, so for the last 30 plus years, he has gone through this ritual with his family and friends growing up. He knows exactly what it represents, he knows exactly what it's about. He knows all of the customs and the traditions that are built into the Passover meal because he's done it many times. We don't know if he's served as the host before, but on this night as the host, you made sure you knew exactly what you were going to do. And you followed a particular pattern and order that was laid out for you. But this time, he does something slightly different. Whether it was during the meal or as soon as they finished, Jesus stood up, he grabbed a piece of bread, and here's what he said. He had given thanks and he broke it and he said to them, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he, and he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Could you imagine being one of, the, one of the disciples in this moment? You know exactly what's coming. You know exactly what to expect. But what Jesus does is a, is a curveball. They're going, what are you doing? You're messing with God's Passover. You can't do that. But what Jesus is doing is so beautiful. He's actually connecting the Passover with what he's about to do, not only for, for them, but for all of us. He's telling them, hey, we're remembering God's deliverance and we're anticipating the coming Messiah in this meal. And folks, the Messiah is here, standing in front of you. He's letting them know what He's about to do in the next 24 hours is going to be another exodus. He's going to lead all of God's people out of sin and out of bondage as He gives His life on the cross, as He's buried in the tomb, and as He's raised on the third day. He's connecting these two Events And he's giving them a new meal and really a fulfillment of the Passover, what we call the Lord's Supper, or maybe you call it communion. He's giving them this meal as a fulfillment of what happened in the Passover. He's telling them, I am the Passover lamb. That bread is my body. That cup, that wine that you have drank tonight is my blood. And as it represented the covenant that God made with you back then, it represents the covenant that God is making with you today of a promise of hope, of a new future. And folks, it's a meal that we still share today and that we're going to share today in just a few minutes. We do that because Jesus told us to do this in remembrance of Him. And we gather each week with a privilege of participating in the Lord's Supper. But here's what I worry about. I worry that sometimes it just kind of becomes a checklist item. You know what I mean? Another thing on our list that we've got to do today. Got to go to the store, check. Got to get the milk, check. Got to cut the grass, check. Went to church and took communion, check. I worry that we miss the significance of what this meal represents because we kind of get caught up in just the rhythm and the routine of church. I worry that we've turned it into an individual moment instead of a communal experience. It's something that we're supposed to do together. 
and I worry that we've made it into a funeral service instead of a celebration. You see, part of the Passover was that they would celebrate God's deliverance of Israel from Egypt. I told you they'd take a piece of that bread and they would hide it in the house. And then when it was time, they would send the children into the home or wherever they were gathering to go find this piece of bread. Can Can you imagine how excited the kids would have been? I mean, imagine today if I said, hey kids, I hid a piece of communion bread somewhere in this auditorium. I got a $20 bill for whoever can find it. Thankfully, they've already gone to Children's Church. But could you imagine the pandemonium, the chaos? And some of us be going, this is so out of order and undecent. But we're celebrating together today. That's exactly what they were doing then. They were celebrating the Passover, God's redemption. And I have no doubt in my mind, I am firmly convinced that when the church gathered together to break the bread as an early church that we read about in the book of Acts, it was not a somber scene. Because when you gather in the presence of God, there is nothing sad about it. And it should bring joy to our hearts. And it should put a smile on our face. I know we're remembering the death of Jesus, and that was a sad moment, but folks, He didn't stay in the tomb. He walked out of the grave. If He doesn't walk out of the grave on that Resurrection Sunday, which we're going to celebrate next week, then none of this matters. We don't have a bread and a cup to celebrate today. In fact, we're probably gathering to celebrate Passover because we're still waiting on the Messiah. But Jesus is telling them in this meal, the Messiah has come. I'm here in your midst. I'm gathering with you today. I love what John Mark Hicks said about the Lord's Supper in his book, Enter the Water, Come to the Table. He said the Lord's Supper is a moment of both authentic participation in the new creation as well as anticipation of its coming fullness. Through the sacraments, God communes with us and assures us that one day the frustrations of creation will pass away and all creation will be liberated and renewed. Have you been frustrated by creation? I have. I'm frustrated every time I have to go to a funeral service, every time I have to stand over the grave of a loved one. I'm frustrated when I turn on the news and it's nothing but evil and violence and wickedness and pride and deceit. I'm frustrated that in our state over this past week, Five families are grieving the loss of a loved one because a storm ripped through and took their loved one's life. I'm frustrated and heartbroken that there are people who are rebuilding their lives today because a storm tore down everything that they had worked so hard to build up. I'm frustrated because I see on TV and I see on my Facebook feed uh, of a young man who has built a pair of shoes and put drops of human blood in the name of Satan in them. Folks, I'm frustrated by creation. And I don't know if you are as well, but when we gather in this place, when we gather around the table and we have the bread and the cup, we are participating in and anticipating a future hope that is coming. When one day God will remove all evil, where God will remove all death and all sorrow, we won't have any more funerals to attend, and we won't be waiting on the coming of our King. We'll be in His presence. We'll be sitting around the largest table you could ever imagine. We'll be celebrating this banquet feast because we are in the presence of God. And folks, that's the vision that Isaiah talks about and Jeremiah talks about, and that's the vision that Jesus has as He gives us this meal to remember Him. So, let's remember today who is at the table and what is on the table. Jesus is our host. I might be up here talking to you today. I might be leading our thoughts today, but folks, don't miss. Jesus is our host. If we had a table out here that we could all sit at, 
none of us would be sitting at the head because that would be Jesus' place. He's serving as our host today. We are eating and drinking in his presence today. That's why this is not a somber moment. Our king is not dead. He is alive. He's in our presence today. But don't forget what is on the table. It's the bread and the cup. The bread that represents his body and the cup that represents his blood that was shed for our forgiveness and that is the representation of a new covenant that we have with God. That's what's on the table. Jesus said in John 6, he's the bread of life and anyone that eats the bread of life and drinks of him will never hunger and will never thirst. What you are looking for, what your soul has been longing for can be nourished from this meal today. There's nothing special about this cup. There's nothing special about this alleged piece of bread. I'm not convinced it's true bread. It might possibly be some kind of biodegradable styrofoam. I have no idea. There's nothing special. It's very unspecial. There's nothing special about unleavened bread. There's nothing special about this juice that's in here. What makes it special is what it represents. It's the body of our Savior. It's the blood that he shed for us. So today, church, let's come to the table. Let's come to the table first off to give thanks to God. It's one of the reasons why we gather, to praise him. I love the songs that Mel led for us today, reminding us of that faithful love that flowed down. We are giving thanks today. And every time we gather around this table, we gather to give thanks. We come to this table to remember Jesus He asked his disciples to do this in remembrance of him, not just his death, although that's important to remember, but to remember Jesus. We need to remember him and all of him, his personality, his love, his compassion, his mercy. We need to remember his firmness, his conviction, his justice. All of it goes together into us remembering who Jesus is and not just what he did on the cross, but every uh, time he interacted with somebody, uh, every miracle he performed, we should remember Jesus. And one of the great things you can do is just think about something different about Jesus every time you gather around this table. Don't make it about you and what you did or should have done this week. Think about Jesus because it's about him, focusing on him and remembering what He has done for us in delivering us from our sin and bondage. Let's come to the table to ask the Holy Spirit to breathe new life into us. Do you remember when Jesus' body was laying in the tomb on that early that Sunday morning? Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8 that the Holy Spirit invaded that sealed tomb and went into the body of Jesus and breathed new life into Jesus so that he could take a breath again, get up and walk out of the grave. Paul says that same spirit that breathed life into Adam and Eve in the garden, that breathed life into Jesus in the tomb, is breathing new life into us as Christians, as believers. And so as we partake of this bread and this cup, I pray that we invite the Spirit to refresh our souls today because we need new life. Let's come to the table to be renewed in our unity as a family. There's a lot going on in our world. There's so much division, so much hatred, so much arguing and fighting. And what the world is longing for, the equality and the unity that the world is longing for, folks, it's experienced and should be experienced every Sunday in the Lord's house. We are gathering. I know we don't have a real table. It would be awesome if we had like a real table. And as our church grew, we said, hey, you know what we got to do? We got to build a bigger table because we got room for all. And we just had this table that stretched and stretched and stretched. 
And, you know, we'll probably have to put the kids at another table because they got to earn their right to join the adults. But could you imagine? I'm just kidding. We wouldn't do that. Could you imagine this long table that just keeps growing and growing as God's family grows? And we're all sitting level. There's nobody better than anybody. We all have plenty in front of us. And serving as our host is Jesus himself. That's the kind of unity that the Bible talks about. That's the kind of unity that the world longs for. It's the one thing that this culture cannot cancel. It, it provides equality for all genders when we all gather at the table. What the world longs for, we have the opportunity to experience and to participate in every week. This is no ordinary time. Let's come to the table to be reminded of our purpose of receiving Christ so that we can become Christ to the world. When you eat this bread, you are taking in the body of Jesus so that this week you can become the body of Jesus. You can become the hands and the feet and the mouth and the eyes of Jesus. It's very likely you'll have a conversation with somebody this week. You'll have an opportunity to meet a need this week that Jesus has presented for you because only you can do it. And this meal is designed to open our eyes to those opportunities so that we can become the hands and the feet. We can truly be the body of Jesus for our world this week. This is what we are reminded of. And let's come to the table to remember that this is a communal event. You don't sit alone. It's not just a vertical experience with you and God. It's a way that it connects us all together. It was designed to be a communal experience where we share together. And I don't just mean we eat it at the same time. It was designed to be where we share together about Jesus. We gather around tables and we talk about who Jesus is and we remember who He is and what He's done for us. It's a communal event, not just an isolated, individualistic moment. It reminds us that we are together. So church, let's come to the table. Let's come to the table to remember that today we are participating in and anticipating the coming of our King. That one day we will gather around God's great banquet table and we will feast together like you could never have imagined. And not only will Lord will and we be there, but all of God's children from all tribes, tongues, and nations will be gathered around this table. And it will be a beautiful display of God's creativity. And we will all be united together out of our love for our Father and His Son, Jesus. We will share, laugh, and be filled with joy. So today, I invite you, first off, to put a smile on your face. You're communing in the presence of Jesus today. He's alive and well. And this is not a funeral. This is not awake. Our king walked out of that tomb. So I invite you to, if you do not have one of these emblems, they are available in the lobby. But I invite you to go ahead and take out your piece of bread as we bless it. This bread, I think it's bread. We'll agree it's bread. This bread represents the body of Jesus. The body of Jesus. Picture him in your mind. Picture Jesus. I don't know what he looked like, but I've got an idea, and I'm probably wrong, and that's okay. Just picture Jesus and what he did. Think of something that he did in his life, something that sticks with you. It might be the cross. It might be one of the miracles. What sticks out to me was when he fed the 5,000. 
great moment that always sticks in my mind. Just think of Jesus. Maybe it was something that he said. One of his teachings. What he said to the woman, go and sin no more. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Maybe it's a saying that sticks in your mind. This bread represents our Savior. And as we eat this bread, we are reminding ourselves that we're to become Jesus to the world, that we are the body of Christ, a united family brought together because of our Savior. Let's give thanks. Father, I'm thankful that we have this opportunity to share this meal today. God, may it never be an item on our checklist, something that we just kind of blow through. God, this is your supper. Jesus, this is to honor you, to remember you. So, God, I pray today that as we, as we take in this piece of bread, that we are taking in the body of Jesus, the body that was broken for us on the cross, but the body that walked out of the tomb, Lord, the body that we long to see one day as we see you face to face. Father, help us to be Jesus to the world this week. Refresh us as we eat this meal. In Jesus, we pray. Amen. This cup represents the blood that Jesus shed for us on the cross. The blood that purchased the forgiveness of our sins. The blood that ushered in a new covenant that God created with us. A covenant of grace, mercy, and love. A covenant that we strive to live each and every day. And so as we drink of this, we are reminding ourselves of our commitment that we made to God as believers. On the day that Many of us gave our lives to Christ in repentance and baptism. We're reminded of that today. We're reminded of how we gave our hearts to our Lord and that we would serve Him every day. And we're reminded that this cup represents the forgiveness that God granted to us. Maybe this week's been a rough week. Maybe there's a lot on your mind. Maybe you've had a lot of struggles with sin this week. This cup reminds you the grace that God promises through the death of his son Jesus. Let's give thanks for the cup. Father, thank you for this cup that represents the blood of your son Jesus that was for the forgiveness of our sins and that also represents this new covenant that you have with us. God, as we partake of this cup, we anticipate uh, your son's return. We anticipate uh, the renewal of all things. And we participate today in that new creation where heaven and earth are intersecting. Thank you for being in our midst in our presence today and for giving us this meal that we can never forget what you did for us as you delivered our souls from spiritual bondage. Thank you so much for loving us, for the gift of your son Jesus. In him we pray. Amen.